joining us today on episode number 163 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today, we're going to be answering our listener questions. It's our first Ask Me Anything episode, or really Ask Us Anything episode, where we will be answering questions sent in to us from our podcast listeners and our Facebook tribe group. So stay tuned. This is the Real Life Runners podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so this is going to be some fun. Yeah, it's the first time we've done this one in, uh, ever. Ever. Um, and it's the first time I didn't write an outline in a long time. Yeah, much anticipated, ask me anything kind of episode. I'm pretty excited for it. I know, it's going to be fun. So basically, we have dedicated this entire episode to answering the questions that you guys have submitted to us, guys and gals, have submitted to us either through Facebook or through email or we have a new little cool widget on our website. So if you haven't seen it yet, you should definitely go check it out. Is it a widget? Is that its official name? It is called a widget. That's fantastic. Yes. So if you go to our website, realliferunners.com, on the right side of the screen, you'll see a little gray box that says, leave us a message. So there you can click on that box and you can leave us a 90 second voicemail which is fantastic so if you have any questions anything that's on your mind if you just want to you know let us know what you're thinking about that week's podcast anything really you can just go on our website and leave us a message which is pretty fun so it's a great way to get questions onto this it's also you could record a message and just tell angie how pretty she is you could go with that also <laughs> you know this is a podcast right so i have a face made for a radio no, she's all no. over all over our website. She's beautiful. <laughs> you guys do know what I look like, especially if you follow us on any form of social media. It's kind of fun, like one of the funny things. Like, did you ever notice that, like, when you were a kid, like, listening to radio DJs, you know, and you, like, hear their voice, and you kind of have this picture of them in your head, and then you see them you're in like, person, and you're Whoa, like... Whoa, not what I thought. Really? That's what they look like? I, I mean, I know I had that thought multiple, multiple times, like, yeah. when I was, like, listening to radio DJs, like, yeah. growing up as a kid casey Kasem, casey Kasem's countdown 40 like yes. the, the 40 the top, top 40, 40. Countdown. yeah top 40 yes. the, yeah and then i mean there was like some of the radio djs down here i had definitely things in my head that were not like paul and ron and suddenly they're up on a up on a billboard and you're like whoa that is not what was going on in my head <laughs> yeah but nowadays you guys know pretty much what like all podcasters look like so there's no more of that like mystery sensation no this is just what we look like (laughs) so anyway i don't know how we got there but anyway um feel free to leave us a message okay so if you head over to our website realliferunners.com you can leave us a 90 second voice message you can also email us over at podcast at realliferunners.com if you have a question that you would love for us to answer on the episode you can leave us a message in our facebook tribe there's lots of ways that you guys can get to us now we try to make ourselves pretty accessible right and then this is this is a plan of like a regular recurring podcast episode is the ask us whatever you've got and we can't answer all of the questions but we'll try and knock out a few questions and and really directly answer them kind of have some discussion between us you know you post up in the facebook tribe you're going to get a lot of people kind of giving you facebook size answers to it yeah we'll, we'll chat about it for a little bit and a lot of the facebook size answers are also a lot of very personal experiences and we will give you that you know if you guys want some of our own personal experiences we do talk about that but we also try to come you know at your questions from a more scientifically based perspective yes yes indeed scientific and uh 
other expert perspective. Yeah, and seeing the experience of so many athletes that we've dealt with, like, True. yes, I may have a personal connection to your question, but knowing exactly how it works for me might not be the solution that you're looking for. I mean, you are an expert right now. Like, we are experts. Right. Yeah. Like, we, we've dealt with enough runners to know, like, the answer. And is it the right answer for every single runner? No, because every runner is different. But do we know a lot of generalizations? Yes. Yeah, and if if my first answer doesn't work for you, it depends on the topic. I mean, this is why it's nice to have both of us. It yeah. depends on the topic because sometimes my first answer might not do it, but I have a second and a third and a fourth option for you. Well, maybe your first answer is sometimes not my first answer. So then we can get in a little arm wrestling friendly <laughs> thumb wrestle. Thumb wrestling. I might have a better sh- shot with thumb wrestle either. Although I do have pretty short thumbs compared to yours. Yeah, but you got physical therapist strength in your thumbs. I do have pretty darn <laughs> strong hands. So, okay. So let's get started. All right. So You can tell this is going to be a fun one so already. So it's our first Ask Us Anything. And you know, there's a lot of podcasters out there with like the AMA episodes that ask me anything, but I'm like, no, it's actually AUA. Like it's an Ask a- Us. AUA. AUA. <laughs> like it's an Ask Us Anything episode. So listener questions. Okay. So let's jump in, shall we? Go. Is there anything else? you want to say before we just get right into it that it's a golden episode because you can ask us why is that golden it's a chemistry joke a use the symbol for gold oh there we go hey you come (laughs) back here with my gold nailed it (laughs) so all right so first question comes to us from melanie and melanie asked us how do i go from walking to running Ooh, excellent one it is a great question (laughs) And it actually has a pretty simple answer. Yeah, slowly. It's a slow transition. And that has to kind of be your focus. Well, okay. So let's go Let's go at this from a couple different angles, okay? So I don't think you necessarily have to say, like, it's a slow transition. Because there's a couple ways you can do it. But one of the ways that we recommend to go from walking to running is interval training. Ah, you went with that as the answer. I I was going with how do I get all the way to running? And I mean, the answer is you kind of build your intervals. So interval training is the answer. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's slowly building your intervals if you want to go at it that way. That's, that was my point. I know, but I feel like sometimes when you like just jump in and say like slowly, then people don't like that answer. Oh. It's a quick process. It's not a quick process. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. So you can totally just go out and just start running, right? And just run until you get tired, which a lot of people do. Like a lot of people, a lot of beginner runners go out and they just like run until they're tired and then they take a walking break. And then they run until they're tired again and then they take a walking break. And that leads to a lot of fatigue and that leads to people getting bored and frustrated. And then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times it leads to people getting injured as well because they end up overdoing it. Well, it also leads to a lot of boredom. Like if you go out and you're like, all right, I'm just going to go out and run until I can't run anymore. And that's not a long distance. You're not going to get that far from your house. Like if the, the full length that you can go out and run is, say, three minutes you're just not going to get that far from your house. And then if the next day you try and do it again, it's going to be the same little tiny stretch of road that you're going to be able to to run down. You know, I, I go off on long runs and just run all over our city. 
if you're doing a run walk, you're gonna end up seeing that same little stretch over and over. So intervals is the answer for how to build a distance up while you're still transitioning from just a walk to a run walk to if your goal is run only, you kind of have that run walk in the middle. Right, so the first thing would be to understand that this is going to be a process, okay? So don't expect this to happen overnight. Like running, anything really, like your whole running Life is a journey. So first of all, accept that. Understand that where you are right now is not where you're going to be. You're not stuck here forever. You can make a plan. You can make a smart plan and improve and progress, you know, to, to get to the goal that you want to get to, whether that's to run farther, to run longer, to run more without walking, whatever that goal might be for you. Understand that it is within your reach as long as you just put in the work, okay? So what we would suggest would be to choose a time or a distance as you're beginning. So say 30 minutes, or, all right, or two miles, or three miles, whatever it might be, okay? Choose what your starting distance is going to be. So for our example here, let's just do 30 minutes. 30 minutes is a great stop because then you, you know that you're exercising for 30 minutes. You can feel good about, all right, I went out and I exercised for 30 minutes and I'm good. The trick here is that you have to kind of stick with that 30 minute thing. Like if you want to go from walking to running and that's your focus, you can't go from walking to running and also build my mileage up to be able to run a marathon. You can, it's just going to take you a much longer time frame to do it because you're trying to hit two separate goals simultaneously. Right. So if you are able to go out and walk for 30 minutes, that is a great start. Okay. So if you're able to do that, then what we're going to do is we're going to break that up into intervals. So depending on how you know, what you, what your experience is, how, you know, in shape you are in other realms. Like, you know, there are some people that do, you know, spin or cycling or um, hit training or other things and they're just new into running, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that are just new into fitness, right? Those two people are in different categories. So figure out kind of where your fitness is and where, you know, how long you think you can run comfortably. So for some people, this might be running for 30 seconds or running for one minute. But basically what you're going to do is you're going to choose an interval and you're going to stick to it for that 30 minutes. So if you think that you can run for 30 seconds without stopping, that's what you're going to do. You're going to run for 30 seconds and then you're going to take, say, like a three-minute walking break, okay? And then you're going to do that again. Run for 30 seconds, three-minute walking break. If that interval doesn't seem good for you, then extend the walking break or, you know, shorten the running break. You can kind of play with it to figure out where you are. Right. And some people, as they work with this whole, like playing with the different numbers of like, well, should I do a little more running, a little more walking? Maybe I just do like a one minute run followed by a one minute walk. It, it The time intervals just seem so short and you're constantly starting and stopping. And so maybe they'll do like a two minute run followed by a two minute walk. And you just kind of play with these. And some people then just fall in love with the run walking interval program and, and some people want to stick with that but then there's other people that want to transition to just running so the thing when you're first starting out like if you are brand new at running we suggest uneven intervals okay so where you would like run for like 30 seconds or one minute and then walk for a longer portion of time so that you're not it's not even you know the one one or the two two like kevin just mentioned those would be a little bit more difficult okay those would be like kind of more medium types of 
people like after you're maybe into it for like a couple of weeks then you can kind of go into that but if you are brand new you're going to want to start out with short runs and a little bit longer walks so that you can maintain that cycle for the full 30 minutes Right, because that's the goal, is at the end of 30 minutes that you don't feel like you're going to pass out. Right. Because feeling like you're going to pass out after 30 minutes does not really inspire you to do it again the next day. Yeah. And ultimately, if you're going to continue making this transition, you have to keep going out there and doing it the next day. Whatever the next day is, you have to keep getting out there and doing it. Right. So if, say you start with like one minute of walking or one minute of running and five minutes of walking. Okay. That's a six minute interval. So you're going to do that five times over the course of a 30 minute run. Okay. So you're going to run for a minute, walk for five, run for a minute, walk for five. And then what you're going to do is gradually increase the running and decrease the walking. Okay. So that's kind of the way that you're going to transition from walking to running is you gradually increase the the length of your running intervals and gradually decrease the length of your walking intervals until you're really more running than walking and then you can kind of just transition to just straight running yeah and i mean really you're just kind of keeping your your overall ratios in mind of what's the ratio of run to walk over the course of your run and gradually transition until it's basically a 50 50 and then you start doing a little bit more run versus walk Mm -hmm. you can play with this of what do i want to simultaneously increase the run and decrease the walk so maybe you get to a point where you're like you're running for two minutes and walking for one then you could change it and do run for three and walk for one or you could do run for two and walk for only 30 seconds and figure out the one that that feels right for you but again it's that you want to be able to maintain that through your entire 30 minutes well you're still just hanging out at that 30 minute level you just turning more of the 30 minutes into running and you can you can build on into that 30 minutes over the course of depending on where you start you can build over a few months and get yourself to be able to run 30 minutes. Right. So you have to be patient and give it time. Okay. This is like a a big key. And this is what's hard for a lot of people because people want to see that immediate gratification, that instant like progress. I'm a runner now. I've I've said I'm a runner. I've accepted the identity of runner. And now I'm going to go out and I'm going to run for 30 straight minutes. Like sometimes that is that works you know sometimes people are capable of that other times they're not it just depends on you your fitness background your health like so many factors kind of go into whether or not you're going to be able to do that but just understand that your journey is your own and you don't need to compare yourself to anybody else be patient give it time and acknowledge yourself for the progress that you're making even if it maybe not as fast as you think it might, if it, that it should be, but understand that when you progress more slowly, you are at way, way lower risk of injury. Way lower risk of injury and uh, way higher, you know, it's not risk, way higher chance of sticking to that plan. Success? Yeah, like your success is really coming a lot more with a lot less kind of hiccups along the way if you realize that it's just going to be a slow process. If you keep trying to go in like spurts, every time you, you take a really big step forward, you might end up taking a couple of steps backwards. Like that's that's not the plan. Right, so if you want to increase your running you know like there's a couple things that you can do obviously but what we would suggest is that if you're trying to transition from walking to running to stick to that one 
time or distance interval that you choose at the beginning, 30 minutes, three miles, whatever it might be. And then once you're at that point, like once you can run for 30 minutes straight, if that's your goal, then you can gradually start to increase your distance. But if you try to do both at the same time, it becomes a lot more complicated. So try to pick that one goal that feels more meaningful to you. So if it's going from walking to being able to run straight, choose that fixed time. And then once you're able to run for that amount of time, then you can work on increasing your distance after that. Yeah, exactly. One, one goal at a time. Okay. Moving on to question number two. So I've got this question. There was a lot of different variations of this question. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and um, call out Julia and Paul and Sharon as um, a couple of the people, although there were more of these people that were asking this question or some sort of variation of this question. And the question is, What's the best way to keep running as I age? How do I maintain speed and or pace as I age with less injuries? Um, strength training. Well, that's one part. Yeah. So there's, so basically this is a multifaceted question. Here. Yeah. There's a lot of answers to that one, there but is. I think one of the big ones on this is, is strength training. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that that's pretty darn close to the top just because like one of the things that I keyed in on there was not I mean the best way to keep running as I age I kind of I'm maybe I skipped past that one a little too quick and got into how do I maintain my speed and pace and I think the answer to that one is incorporating more strength training than maybe like if you've been running for years and years, the way that you were able to build speed in like your 20s and the way that you can build it in 40s and 50s is different. It is different. And and it's a, a much greater emphasis on the strength training with some speed to try and make sure, yes, my legs are in fact actually gaining the benefit of that speed. Here it is paying off. But you can't just grind out track workout after track workout like you might have been able to do a few years ago. Yeah, so it's definitely a little bit different for sure when you're like getting into the later decades of life you know we've got a lot of people in our Facebook tribe that are like into their 50s and 60s 40s 50s and 60s and it's pretty awesome like I I love seeing you guys come into the tribe um just saying like you know what I'm getting a little bit upper you know like my age is is increasing and I'm you know I'm definitely not going to call anybody old because old is definitely a state of mind in my opinion I I never believe that age should be a limiting factor in anything it's a running tribe so the answer is you're a master you're a grand master master. you're a great grand master I like that every decade you just get a cooler title is that it yeah so f- you you turn into a master's runner either at 35 or 40 depending on the race depending on which kind of race when, yeah. when do you become a grand master 50 and then once you're past 50, then the age categories just go every 10 years, depending on the race. Some of them go down some to five them, years. Yeah, some of them are still every five years. Yeah. It just kind of depends on the race. Like I know that our local school 5K that we like to do every year, except for this year, of course, it got canceled, unfortunately. But that goes every five years. And I love to see the people that are like 70 and up, you know, or I think 70 and up is kind of the last category. That Usually there's a lot of, of the, especially smaller races that just put a 70 and up category, yeah. which I think kind of messes with some people 
people because there are some athletes that are out there. And the one guy who was the super master athlete who was still running marathons in like his 90s. There's like there were two guys that were going Ed? back and forth. Ed Whitmore, um, who they, they were going back and forth on like the longest, like oldest guy. And they were just every time they hit a birthday on the five year intervals, they would then try and race a marathon. Mm-hmm. Because it was <laughs> like, I've just made it to my new category. Yeah. Let me break all of the world records on this category. Yeah, like now. some of my friends in the running group were like, we joke around that like, like okay good i'm glad i'm in the next categories because you're not in my category anymore <laughs> now you don't know? have to race against now, you now i'm not on the podium with you i'm not even competing against you anymore so it's fine okay so what is the best way to keep running as i age and how do i maintain speed and pace as i age with less injuries okay so like kevin said strength training and mobility work are absolutely key I think for all runners, regardless of your age, I mean, we have our 14-year-old high school cross-country kids doing strength training um, multiple times per week in, in our practices, and believe me, they need it because they are weak and uncoordinated. Yep. So they need it as much as people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. Like strength training and mobility work is just something that all runners need and unfortunately is often neglected by most. Right, but depending on age, you also need it for different reasons. Like Correct. I'd argue that our, our cross-country kids need it because they literally don't have the coordination because they don't have the muscles developed. So in order to actually move with some sort of what looks like running efficiency, and not just have like arms and legs flying in all directions. <laughs> Which some of them do. Uh, completely. Uh, now our drill is going to be slow marching. Okay, when I do that, should this arm just flail out to the left? No, no, it should not be doing that. <laughs> no. So so the strength training is useful uh, and in the younger ages because it helps you gain the strength that you can actually just move with appropriate coordination that arms and legs and muscles are firing in unity. It gains all sorts of that strength. Mm-hmm. But then also as you start aging, your muscles are literally starting to sort of wear and break down more like you're not building back as easily correct you're not building back as easily but i would argue that there are people out there that still in their later years still need that strength and coordination in order to run better well especially if you've never worked on the strength and coordination of running if you've yeah. never treated running as a skill or that if you you're can new actually, to running if you're new to running which means you definitely fall into the category if you never treated running as a skill that you can actually improve. The same way that you could improve the way that you throw a baseball, you can in fact improve the way that you move as you run. Right, because a lot of people understand that like, oh, like like you say, let's take baseball. You know, baseball is a sport. I'm going to practice. I need to go out and I need to practice the way that I'm throwing. I need to practice my batting. I need to practice these skills. People don't always see running in the same way, although it should be treated the same way. Running is a sport. You, as a runner, are an athlete that has skills that you can practice to improve to make yourself a better runner. Right. So if you ever tried some of the running drills, and I know that we've we've talked about running drills before. We put videos up on, on the Real Life Runners Instagram and stuff of various drills and strength and exercises. 
if you've done any of these things and you're like, wow, that is really hard for me, that's an area to work on because that's weakness that is probably uh, affecting your running form, which may then eventually lead to some sort of overuse injury. Right. And, you know, we have our new group of people that are going through our group coaching programs on our Real Life Runners training team, which is so fun. And then we have um, them do these self-assessment tests in week two. Okay, we're in week two now. And they're going through some of these self-assessment tests and they're like, oh, wow, like I'm finding these things out that I didn't know before, you know, or doing this one test was really difficult for me or doing this one running drill was really difficult for me. I never did that before. And and I, one of our um, teammates just made an awesome comment the other day that was like, uh, mobility or stretching. She was talking about stretching. She was like, stretching is easy for me. So I tend to do it, but the mobility and the strength training aren't so easy. So I tend to neglect it. And it's so true, right? Like as people, like as runners, yes, but as people, we typically default to the things that are easier for us. So you're like, okay, like stretching feels fine. Like I'm going to go ahead and stretch when in reality, you might not actually need the stretching. You might need probably the things that are more difficult for you. Right. I mean, the same thing shows up with like nutrition, sort of like, well, I know that I should be eating more vegetables. I should probably be eating less of, you know, processed foods, but I'm fine adding in the vegetables. I still enjoy the processed foods. So you just, you pick and choose which way you're going to help kind of like, well, it'd be good to do both, but I choose that one. Like I personally, I know that I should, in order to get faster, work on my speed and on my like endurance training, but I enjoy the endurance training more because I don't feel like I'm going to be throwing up all over the place like I do with 5k paced reps, so I'd rather go out on a long ride. <laughs> I may have done a really hard workout this afternoon. Right, and so that's what happens though. We default to what seems more easy, but in reality, you probably should be spending more time on the things that feel more difficult because in all likelihood, those are the weaker areas that you need to be working on. Okay. So working on the weaker areas, but making sure that you're still incorporating the part that is still enjoyable to you. Absolutely. That's a big key. Yeah. Because running still needs to be enjoyable, which is one of the other ways of how do I keep running as I age is workout variety. Mm -hmm. Like you need to mix up the different things that you're doing. It's funny that it's, it's how kind of the answer of how do I keep running as I age was also how I transitioned you into running in the first place. Yeah. Workout variety. Workout variety is really important because workout variety definitely helps to keep it interesting. It also keeps it more fun, in my opinion. Um, And it also just trains the body in different ways. It trains different systems. It trains different running muscles so that you're not using the muscles in the same way every single time you go out and run, okay? So we talk about effort level training with our Real Life Runners training team. That's really the way that we coach a lot of our runners. We coach people as according to paces and all of that as well, especially if there's a, a time-based goal that they have on the clock. But a lot of our runners have never even never even knew what effort-based training was until they come and become a part of our team. And so we really try to teach people what it's like and what it feels like in your body to run at different paces. Like there are so many runners that come into our our little bubble of the universe and, and are like, I never knew I could run at different paces before because they go out and they run the same pace or the same distance every time they go out and run. They go out and run their little loop, right? And they go out and they run at that moderate pace and that's what they do. 
But what you need to understand at a run, as a runner, especially as a runner that is you know, increasing in years, you need to vary the intensity of your runs. And most of those runs should be at the easy end of the running spectrum. Right. And that's true for everybody is most of the runs, like 80% of your runs should be done at the easy end of the spectrum. And then you delicately sprinkle in some of the moderate and the higher intensity stuff. As you age, you still need to put in some of this higher intensity stuff, especially if you're going to want to focus on maintaining some speed because your body tries to slow down. Like there's a reason why world records are being set by people somewhere around that like 30-year-old range, it, except for Kipchoge, who apparently never slows down. Well, I was going to say, it's at that age is kind of increasing over the last few really, years. really is. You know, like, it used to be that these world records were only set by, like, 20-year-olds. Like, if like somewhere in the age of 20 to 30, 25 to 30, really. And that age of world record setters is now moving up. Yes. You know, it's increasing in, in number. Yeah, it's it's like a few years ago, the world records are set by a bunch of men and women who were 28. And then that record got broken by somebody else. And they're like, all right, I mean, I'm three years older, but I'm going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And then it got broken. They're like, well, I mean, I'm now four years older than that. But all right, I'm going to break it again. Right. They've just refused to give up their world record, even mm-hmm. though they set it a decade ago. They're going to come back and re-break their own right. world Right, and record. I think that's a really powerful thing that's happening and running right now is that Age is literally just a number. Like there are athletes out there that are proving on a daily basis that they can continue to reach the peaks of running, of their training, of world records well into their 30s. And then they're, then they get into their 40s and they're setting master records. So there's no reason that you need to just accept that, oh, I'm getting older, so now I'm just going to naturally slow down. Like, do you think Kipchoge is going to think that? Do you think that Shalane Flanagan is going to think that? Like, these elite runners, and yes, I understand that as a real-life runner, you're not most likely an elite runner that's a professional, that's a sponsored athlete, but why, that doesn't make you any different than those elite athletes other than a time on a clock. Right, I mean, Bernard Lagat was out there aiming for his fifth Olympics in the marathon and he missed it by like a such a tiny little bit like he finished fourth in the Olympic trials he's out there setting masters world records and was like well I'm fast enough to go to the trials I might as well run the marathon trials and see what happens because I might be able to make my sixth Olympic team it's his sixth team he's made five already and Mo Farah was out there pacing Kipchoge Mo Farah was out there pacing so it's like these just because you are a certain number in years, that does not mean that you can't get faster. It does not mean that you can't get stronger. It may take a little bit more time, okay? So that's one of the things I want you to keep in mind is that, number one, strength training and mobility are key. You need to train as an athlete. You need to incorporate strength training. You need to incorporate mobility work into your workout routine on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, okay? You need to be taking care of your body because as we get older, our bodies don't recover as quickly, okay? Like if you think about this outside of the world of running, like you and I have talked about this before, like when we were in college and you're like 18, 19 years old, you would like go out partying all night long, you'd drink, whatever, you'd go to bed super late, you'd go to like the hot spot at like 2 a.m. and get, you know, the snack or whatever, the food that you want to do and hang out until 3. And then you'd go to bed and you'd still wake up the next day and hit your 8 a.m. class if you were 
you know, studious and ready yep. to go or sleep through it. But either way, you would get up and you would go continue functioning. Day. Right. But when you're like 30, 35, 40, you're like, oh my God, why is it taking me three days to recover because I stayed up until midnight? And the same thing. <laughs> and I didn't even like party. Right. Like I just stayed up until midnight. Yeah. New Year's watching Eve is Netflix. now just like, oh. Maybe I'll celebrate New Year's Eve in a different time zone so I can go to bed at a reasonable hour. I love that. It's the best. It is. Um, But that whole idea of recovery comes into running also. So if you're doing strength training and it's like a heavier strength day, you're going to need time to recover from that. I used to be able to do speed, pretty high-end speed on Tuesday, take Wednesday as an easy run, and come back and hit high-end speed on Thursday. And now... Depending on what the workout is, sometimes I need two days to recover. I used to be able to do three weeks of building mileage and then one pullback week. Now it's two weeks of building mileage and one pullback week. Sometimes. It depends on what it is. It depends on how much the mileage is. But building in recovery, planned recovery, not just I feel exhausted, I can't do anything today. Mm-hmm having a plan and some structure to when you're going to recover, how you're going to recover. Like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I cut my mileage by 30% on this week Mm. and have a significant pullback week and say, that's okay because this is my plan. This is how I'm going to make sure that I I build in the recovery so that I can continue increasing long-term. Right. So maintaining speed and pace as you age with less injuries and to keep running as we get older you need to vary your workout intensity okay with 80% being easy runs and then 20% being those moderate medium or harder run running and efforts you need to incorporate strength training and mobility you need to plan recovery and we recommend like 100% you should be following a training plan that like has all of this mapped out so that you don't have to second guess it like oh like did I do enough easy run running this week or did I hit my workout this week was is my hard to easy ratio where it should be like if you have it all planned out ahead of time in a comprehensive training plan for you you don't have to guess it you don't have to kind of figure it out on the fly to see what's going on it's all right there right in front of you and if you do want help with that that's something that we specialize in on our real life runners training team so if you guys want help to create a customized training plan for you to help you to run longer run faster and do all of that without injuries we'd love to help you out you know so that you don't have to figure it out you know that you're you're following a proven system to help you to achieve those goals especially as we get older so if you are interested in becoming a part of our real life runners training team you can head over to realliferunners.com forward slash team and sign up for to become a part of our team Excellent. Um, Also, uh, just a couple more things on the whole idea of how do I keep running. Uh, Two aspects. One, add in a cross training. Yes. Okay. Continue, like consider outside sources of cardio and activity besides just straight up running. And sometimes make that non-impact or low impact. Right. I was going to say like cycling, swimming, these kind of things where you are not dealing with the, the complete pounding on the body. And to that extent of uh, kind of lessening the pounding on the body, consider putting a run walk into one of your runs during the week Mm -hmm. of completely saying, all right, today is going to be such an easy run for me that I'm going to transition this and make it a run walk. I'm still going to go out there. I'm going to get the miles or I'm going to be out there for this amount of time. But to make sure that it is an easy recovery day, 
I'm going to run walking. Right. And a lot of runners have a hard time mentally accepting the fact that they are going to go out for a run walk because they feel like, you know, that makes them quote unquote lesser of a runner, which is just ridiculous. Okay. First of all, just get that out of your head if possible. I know that's easy for me to say, not easy to do because I am a victim of this. I will tell you straight up and I will raise my hand very high. I know that this summer, um, you know, with the stress of what's happening in the world right now, with the heat of the summer here in South Florida, like there was some crazy stuff going on in my life. And I, you know, Sundays are my recovery run days. And I was, I would go out on my Sunday recovery runs and my heart rate would be like really high. And so I decided to make Sundays my run walk intervals. And I was just going to make those my interval training days. And at the beginning, I struggled mentally with accepting the fact that I was going to do a run walk, which seems ridiculous um, for some people because they love run walking. And other people, I think you could probably relate to this because it's like, no, I'm, I'm a runner. I go out and I run. You know, I don't need to put a run walk in. It's true. I don't. Like, I can go out and run lots and lots of miles without stopping. I can do that. No problem. But so the idea of me putting in a walk, a necessary planned walking break, on a shorter recovery run seemed difficult for me to accept mentally. But what I found is that it was actually very freeing in a lot of ways because I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do my run walk and it's going to be easy. It's going to help me ensure that my run that day is easier, okay? And so as we age, as we get older, because of weather or other things that are going on in our life, our life, like lack of sleep, stress, all sorts of things, maybe you didn't sleep well, putting in some run walks into your plan can be a really helpful thing. Right, it also helps if people are struggling to find what that easy run pace is. Like, uh, I feel like as I get in my run, I just kind of get into this flow and it starts getting more towards medium. Okay, so plan in some regular walking breaks so you can make sure that overall that day comes off as an easy run. Yeah, okay. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this? I think that wraps up that guy. All right, cool. All right, moving on to question number three. So uh, Nicola and Raylene had some questions about blisters, okay? So it was either how to stop blisters. Um, I think it was Raylene that had a specific question about blisters on the arch of her foot. Oh. Yeah, so so we're going to talk a little bit about blisters. So first of all, what causes blisters? All right, so blisters are some sort of friction. Like if we're dealing with like toe, toe, foot, somewhere in there, blisters. There's there's friction and moisture, and it's just uncomfortable. I mean, and even I mean any blisters. I mean, I just took up the guitar a month ago, and I've got like I was I had like blisters. They weren't they didn't they were never like bubbles on my fingertips, but they definitely were blisters, and they were swollen and definitely painful, and they've turned into calluses, and that's because of the pressure and the friction that I was placing on my fingertips that I've never done before. So a lot of times blisters can be, especially if you're new to running, um, blisters are more common in newer runners because you're doing something that you haven't done before. Or maybe you've switched shoes, you know, like maybe you've, you, you're in a different shoe type or a different shoe size. Those things can cause blisters because there's just, it's rubbing your foot in a different spot. Right, so the, the blister is basically from 
uh, the, the repetitive use of the same sort of rubbing, the same friction over and over and over again. Right. That's why strumming the guitar or holding the guitar strings is what you get the blisters from. Is yeah, those the, that's steel, the holding finger, right? Steel strings, man. Those are no joke. I had no idea when I decided. I was just like, oh, I'm going to play the guitar. Like, what is this finger pain I'm having? Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. But basically, so if you're getting blisters, blisters are actually a really beautiful thing. I mean, I know they're painful, but they're, your body's way of protecting you okay like all of a sudden there's this friction and this pressure on this area and your body's like whoa wait a second like we're gonna put like a nice little fluid bubble there to protect the area like that's what a blister is yes it basically puts a pillow where you are getting friction and says i'm gonna put this protective pillow coating right to make sure that we don't injure the tissues underneath it right but the problem is that the blister is uncomfortable because it builds up this pressure inside and so if you get a blister you should use a sterilized needle like get a get a needle and either pour some alcohol over the top of it or hold it over a flame for a little bit of time so that the needle is all nice and clean and then pop that sucker. I don't know if we should recommend that on the podcast. I feel like that could le- lead into like legal problems telling people to pop blisters. It's in like every article. So we are not read. recommending this, but Kevin's just going to instead tell you how he deals with blisters. This is how I've dealt with So tell m- us how you deal. This is not what we're recommending. <laughs> <laughs> for legal purposes. Sure. But like, how how do you deal with blisters? Because I honestly, I, I really, thank God, I'm going to like knock on some wood here, but like I really haven't had a lot of blister issues. Um, you have dealt with blisters m- much more than I have. I've had them all over the place. Yeah. I've had the arch one. I've had it on most of my toes. <clears throat> I've had it on like the tips of the toes or like under the nails. And I get, uh, well, I use the pins that come with all of my race bibs because I still have like a handful of pins and like all sorts of different running bags and I clean it with a flame and then I pop the blister on both sides. I make two holes into it and then depending on where it is, the size of the thing, usually that's all I do. If it's a really big blister, then I'll put like a bandage over the top of it so that it, the, the kind of rubbing is reduced. Mm-hmm. So I've had the arch blisters before. I flip brands of shoes. It's back when I was selling shoes and I'm like, oh, look at these new shoes. They're so cool looking. I want to get those. And they were not like, they weren't an inappropriate shoe for me, but I changed brands. They weren't ideal. When you change brands, there's a slight difference in foot mm-hmm. in like in the feel of it. So yeah. like the, 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 the shoe is modeled on an ever so slightly different thing. And the way that the arch hit my arch was not exactly the same as the shoe that I'd, I'd worn before and before and before, which was just like the same shoe over and over. Mm-hmm. And so I got these blisters on both arches, on both feet. It was brutal. And Oof. they were like, like, like a quarter. Ouch. So pop them. I put band-aids on both of them. And you went back to your other shoe? I went back to my other shoes because I was still working at the shoe store, so I got a good discount. There you go. So the cause of blister is the, you know, one of the things that you kind of want to think about. Like, is that shoe type the right shoe for you? Like, is is that shoe actually fitting your foot correctly? Because like Kevin said, the other, that second shoe that he went into wasn't a bad shoe for him, quote unquote bad, right? Like it was still in the right category. Like, because when you talk about running shoes, you talk about neutral shoes, you talk about stability shoes, you talk about minimalist motion control. There's different categories of shoes. So you were still within the same category, but every brand 
brand of shoe and every model of shoe kind of hits your foot just a little bit differently. Maybe it's a little bit more snug in the heel. Maybe it's a little bit wider in the toe box. Maybe there's some more room on the arch or the arch is a little bit more built up on one shoe than the other. And that's just hitting your foot differently. So it's rubbing in different areas and that can cause blisters. So anytime there's friction in an area where there didn't used to be friction, you're going to be more prone to having a blister in that spot. Right. So one of the ways to deal with this is one, making sure your shoes actually fit correctly, Mm -hmm. Um, especially from a width perspective. Like if you tie up your shoes, as long as they're like normal lacing shoes, every once in a while shoe companies go crazy and the shoelaces don't just go up the top of your foot. They like curve across all over the place. Um, But if you have normal lace up shoes, the, the two sides of the laces should be basically parallel lines going up the top of your foot. They should not flare out at the, at the, like where you tie the bow and they shouldn't flare out down by your toes. They should just be two parallel lines. If they're not, you need to deal with getting either a narrow shoe or a wide shoe because your shoes don't fit correctly. Right. So, and then if you're having blisters at like on your toes, specifically like the front of your toes or underneath your toes, you need to look at also at your shoe size okay a lot of people especially people that are new to running especially if you just buy your shoes online you'll just go and you're like okay well I'm gonna buy a running shoe I'm gonna buy that shoe in the same size as my normal shoe and that is not what you want to do okay so as a runner you should size up in your running shoes at, at least a minimum half a size we usually recommend a full size I actually size up about a size and a half. So my normal, quote unquote, normal shoe size is like a seven and a half, eight. And I size up to a nine in running shoes to give my foot more room. Part of that reason is because we live in South Florida where it's hot as heck. And so, and I also like to run more miles. So it depends on how far you're running. It depends on how long you're out there on your feet. And it depends on the climate that you're in too, because the hotter it is, the more miles you run, the more your feet are going to swell and expand. So when your feet swell and expand, if you don't have enough room in your shoe, your your toes are going to be constantly hitting the front of your shoe. And that's going to cause, again, that pressure and that friction, which is going to put you more at risk for blisters. So if you haven't yet, like make sure that you go up a shoe size. It might feel a little bit weird at first. I know it did for me, like when I first sized up, I felt like I was wearing clown shoes at first and I was like, there's so much room here. This is ridiculous. But then I got used to it very quickly and it felt a lot more comfortable. I am not the hugest fan. Hugest? Is that a word? Yeah, do let's go for it. Great. The hugest fan of <laughs> shoes that are that big at the start of a run. And well, this is the thing is your, your foot's going to swell over the course of it. I size up about a size, half to a full size. Mm -hmm. And I've just accepted that I lose several toenails when I build my mileage up to a certain distance. I like to have prettier toenails than Kevin, so I just go up a little bit more. I don't like the feeling of having it. So I've figured out over years how I take care of my toes. And if I get blisters, I take care of them right as soon as they show up. And then the blisters turn into master's category blisters, which is known as a callus. Master's category. (laughs) that's where calluses are there There you go if blisters i've got them on my fingertips now yeah and if blisters are essentially like this nice soft little you know pillow that you put to prevent the injury then calluses are like a full-blown shield to Mm -hmm. prevent greater injury but they're all a protective mechanism i mean i've got some calluses now on my toes now that i'm like 
more of a, a runner like I've, I'm very consistent runner a very you know consistent with my distance and stuff I've got some some calluses built up I'm, but sorry, I'm not gonna really say more of a runner you're you're more consistent with a long run on the with weekend with a longer distance yes. yeah but I've I but they're not big calluses and they're only on certain toes too but I think that again that's one of the trade-offs right like I'm gonna default to just getting a little bit of a bigger shoe because I don't want to lose toenails Kevin's okay with losing toenails and so he's gonna stay in a smaller shoe. I like the feeling of, of the ground underneath me. I like the feeling of the quick reaction from the shoe. And so if I go that extra half a size in the front, it just it feels uncomfortable. It feels like it throws my stride off. How often have you like tried it, though? I've tried it off and on. A couple times? For like the last 20 years. There I've tried go. off and on going a size and a half up, and yeah. it's, it's uncomfortable. So choose your choose your discomfort. Like do Either choose you know having the blisters and the calluses and the black toenails, or choose to kind of get used to a bigger size in your shoes for a little while. Exactly. And, and then the other one is making sure that you have the best socks that you can. Yes. And that means that you're probably going to want to leave the world of like the six pack of cotton socks behind and find something that is a little maybe thinner and made out of some sort of nylon tech technical fabric wicking material right yep. so you want you want some sort of fabric that's going to try to wick that moisture away from your foot because yes blisters are caused by friction but they're also caused caused by excess moisture so if you can have like fabrics that kind of try to pull that moisture away from your toes you're going to be less prone to those blisters um and just keep in mind that that mean that may mean that you might need to change your socks partway through those longer runs, especially if you're training for longer distance runs like a marathon or an ultra marathon or anything like longer. I, I know I have friends or, or if you're the kind of person that just sweats a lot, you know, like I have friends that have like hyperhidrosis that just sweat like crazy and everything just gets soaked. They literally look like they just came out of a swimming pool or the ocean when they're running, you know, the, everything is just dripping in sweat. They found that when they were training for marathons, they would stop halfway through their run and they would change their clothes from head to toe, including their socks, because there was just they were just too wet. Okay, so that would be an option as well. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So on to our final question. This question comes from Paul. He says, "How do I introduce strength training without decreasing running miles per week and not getting injuries?" There's a lot going on in that question. A lot, a lot going on in that question. And some of that brings in some of the things that we've already discussed in the episode. Oh, definitely some of it brings in things we already discussed. I would argue that part of it, how do I introduce strength training without getting injured? The strength training will help prevent the injuries because mm -hmm. it helps kind of combat. I mean, running on its own is a super highly repetitive impact sport. Right. So it's, it's essentially designed for overuse injuries. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. But my other question for you, Paul, is first of all, why don't you want to decrease the running miles per week? Right. And I was going to let you take that one. I want to unpack that a little bit. You know, I like, I kind of wish that we had him like live on the podcast because I think that this is a very important thing that we need to point out that a lot of runners, it's a trap that a lot of runners fall into. It's like, they're like, I am a runner and this is the number of miles that I run per week. And this is just what I do. I can't decrease that. So what should I do? How do I add more things in? But like, I don't have enough time in my day to do that. You, you know, and we've talked in episodes previously on the podcast that sometimes it is better for you to decrease the number of miles that you're running per week 
in order to introduce some strength training, drills, mobility work, those kind of things, if you are limited when it comes to time. Right. If you are limited, there there is a trade-off, but you have to kind of train all aspects of the body. Right. And I know I was making lots of training plans over the weekend for the new people in our in our training program, and people be like, well, these are how many miles I've run per week for the last several weeks, and I would start them like five miles less than that. And I'm sure that we've got people on the team that are just like, I told him I was doing 30. How come I'm doing 22 miles this week? It's like, well, because you hadn't incorporated the speed and the strength twice a week yeah. and this. And in the long run, it's going to be a much better process. And give it a month and you'll be able to introduce that stuff and conceivably build back to where your mileage is. Because if you're really connected to that mileage number, you're going to find a way to get it back in. But you have to build the other things into your routine. So at first, you're going to want to pull back on that miles, on on the miles, so that you can fit them in. And then if you're like, well, okay, now these are the things that I do during my training, but I still want to be running that. Now you're going to find a way to get your running in without taking away these other aspects that are super important. I agree. And I think that, you know, a lot of times runners think like, well, I'm not really a runner if I'm not running a certain number of miles per week or well, a number of miles silly. per But it's true, I know. right? Like there are so many runners out there that want to qualify themselves. And we've tackled this subject many times on the podcast before of like, what actually makes a real runner? Like, is there a certain mileage number? Is there a certain speed, right? Those people that don't quite yet believe that they're runners, like, oh, I run, but I'm not really a runner. Like, what does that mean? What does being a runner mean to you? Like, is a number, a mileage number associated with that identity? And if it is, I really want you to try to unpack that and try to discard it and throw it in the trash and throw a big fire on top of that big dumpster fire uh get really burn intense that quickly. to the ground yeah because that's <laughs> how i feel about it like dumpster fire that junk that crap you know into like that thinking that i'm not a runner unless i qualify to x y or z like that's a bunch of baloney right so understand that runners do these things what are you laughing at <laughs> You went from dumpster fire that crap to it's a bunch of baloney and then it was still girl mom. I'm still a mom, okay? And this is still a family-friendly show that people can listen to in the car with their children. Perfect. Okay, so understand that runners do these things, right? It is part of being a runner to incorporate the strength training, the mobility, those kinds of things. And there are a ton of benefits to take a step back, like Kevin just said, to try to strengthen that foundation moving forward. So sometimes you might need to just take a temporary step back in your mileage in order to introduce some speed work or some strength training or some mobility work and understand that you're going to be able to rebuild right back up to the mileage that you were before. Right. And some of it can literally just be a trade-off. Like if you're putting, if you've not been doing strength training, but you've been incorporating speed twice a week, you can pull back on one of those speed days and just straight up sub in strength training on that day. Yes. The number of total mileage miles that you're going to get in during that week will be reduced because you're cutting part of your, your speed, or you might even be cutting all of your speed. But if you're new to strength training, especially leg strength training, because a lot of runners are like, I don't need to work out my legs. I already run a lot. Mm -hmm. So strength training on your legs is going to basically give you that level of fatigue of 
of a, of a speed workout. Like your legs are going to be tired the next day. You're going to need an easy day the next day. So you can almost trade out a speed for a strength day. You can, yeah, depending on what you're doing. Um, the other thing you can do is start by adding in a few exercises after your runs, okay? So some of my favorites are planks, side planks, variations on planks and side planks, which there are a ton. And if you're not following us on Instagram, you should do that. Go over to, um, on Instagram, you can go to at Real Life Runners. You can also follow our Facebook page where we post at least one video per week of strength training exercises for runners. And for that matter, hey, why don't you go over to our website, realliferunners.com forward slash strength um, or rlrstrength.com. And we've got a strength guide for runners. That's totally for free. That give you gives you um, a strength circuit that I created with eight of um, eight really great exercises for runners, okay? So you can start by just incorporating those after a run. They can take as little as like five to six minutes if you just do one round of them. You know, you do 10 reps of each one you do one round, that's just a couple more minutes on the end of a workout, right? So you can start there. You can dedicate a whole day to strength training if you want. Then you can, if you want to, you can start with one round, then you can build to two and you can build to three. And this is one of the things I love about strength training is that you don't have to go out and do like a 30 minute, 40 minute, 60 minute run. You can just go really hard and really intense for like 15 minutes and get a really good workout that's going to benefit you as a runner, like not just as a fit, healthy human being, but also as a runner because you're strengthening the muscles that are building that strong foundation as a runner. Right. So part of that is a mindset shift also is saying like, I'm going to go really hard strength training and I'm going to be dripping after like 20 minutes. I'm going to knock out all these strengths. You got to get comfortable with what that routine is. So when you first get into this, you're probably not going to be able to knock out like this hardcore strength routine. The same way, like when you first started running, you weren't able to go out and run eight, 10 miles. You weren't able to knock out like 16 times a quarter. Like you had to make sure that you kind of built your way into this. And that's, I think one of the things that holds a lot of people back from strength training is if you really feel uncomfortable with it, you're like, well, I can't hold a plank for more than 10 seconds, or I can't do a push up. Like all of my exercises need to be the modification of the exercises. Yeah. It's still a place to start. And if you don't start, then you're just going to continue getting weaker and that's going to ultimately lead towards injury. So you got to start somewhere the same way that you had to start your running somewhere, that you got to start your speed training somewhere. You got to find that starting place and just slowly start adding things in mm -hmm. just a little bit at a time so that it doesn't ever feel overwhelming. Right. So that you're not just like, ah, oh, it was a strength day and I am terrible at strength. I had to, I, I barely made it through any of the exercises. You want to come at the exercises where you can be successful with them, yeah. where they're a challenge, but you can still be successful. Right. And that's the important thing is modify, like meet yourself where you are, modify the exercises until you can do them the correct way. You know, like if you can't do a push up, do one on your knees first or do one with your hands against the wall. Like you need to start where you are. Like if you can't do a plank, do one with one knee down, do it with two knees down. If you need to, if you can't do a side plank, like I teach our cross country kids this all the time, like how to modify. I teach, um, the members of our real life runners training team also how to modify. I have videos inside of our real life runners strength Academy on how to modify all of these exercises 
exercises because you need to start somewhere. You need to start where you are and then continue to add these things in. And you will be amazed. Like strength training is just like running in a lot of ways in that it gives back to you what you put into it, right? That's one of the beautiful things about it. And it's very measurable. This is this is the thing is once you accept that you need to do the strength training, the same way that you're like, well, I need to make sure I get this many miles in. Okay, treat strength training just as important. I need to make sure that I've increased my number of reps. Like over the course of this month, I'm going to go from this many reps or holding a plank for this amount of time and I'm going to up it to this amount of time and then come up with a plan that gradually builds on your strength training. You can watch the numbers increase the same excitement level that you can watch the number of miles increase on like a base building part of a training plan. Yeah. Like watch the numbers and and celebrate the the growth of those numbers. Absolutely because runners love numbers. Like we're We're motivated by numbers. So the same way that you're motivated by numbers in your running, you can be motivated by numbers in your strength training, okay? So that's what I would say as far as introducing strength training. Don't feel bad about decreasing your mileage at the beginning, understanding that you can quickly build that back once you kind of build that foundation. Um, And if you really, really, really are against taking away some of your mileage, then just start to gradually add on a little bit at the end of your runs. You can't just start to add on tons at the end of your runs because then you're going to start getting into that overtraining. You don't want to do that, okay? So add in like a plank and side plank for 30 seconds, a minute, you know, do a couple of those. Then you can kind of start to introduce more strength exercises for your hips and single leg exercises like reverse lunges, step-ups, banded side stepping, banded hip extension, like banded hip exercises are fantastic for runners okay and then you can just slowly start to add those in like you talk about how you like to do these at school now too right I have I have a one of those elastic stretchy bands sitting at my desk at school I can stay in my chair I don't even have to get up I can stay in my chair and wrap it around my knees and I'm doing various exercises as I sit in the chair I do one where it's around my knees I do one where it's around my feet I've done some where I actually get up and and stand and do different hip exercises but and his kids think he's crazy. I have off periods. So, <laughs> I, and it's a small window where I can get in some things. I'm still dressed in work attire. I'm not breaking a giant Yeah, you don't want to start getting sweaty. But that's the thing is, I don't approach strength training from the idea of, all right, I just need to crank out this brutal strength workout for 20 minutes because that's not the way that I like doing strength workout. I do. You enjoy that I aspect. love it. I freaking drip and sweat and just like bang out a crazy strength workout and I freaking love it. Right. And we got listeners on both sides of that spectrum. Some that are just like, all right, what's the minimum thing that I can do and count myself as I've done enough strength training and other people that are just like, is it safe to put in a fourth strength day during my week? Right. We've got both sides. And so there are ways that you can incorporate both. Absolutely. So Paul, you have to figure out what is best for you and you know, everyone else that may be thinking the same thing, kind of figure out what's best for you and how it works best in your schedule. All right. So that was fun. I mean, I think it's time to wrap this up because we're already over our hour mark. I cannot believe that went over an hour. I know. When we started this episode, Kevin was like, well, this is going to be a quick one. I was like, I don't know about that. Like you and I can kind of talk now. We, we got four questions. We're just going to knock this out. This would be 20 minutes. Yeah, not so much. Or an hour. Or an hour. All right. So hopefully you guys found that helpful. Like I said, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on our next Ask Us Anything episode. Use the widget. Use the widget <laughs> over on our website, Real Life 
liferunners.com. You can just click on the right side. There's a little gray button that says leave us a message. You can um, leave us that. You can email us if you don't really want to leave us a voicemail, but it would be really cool if you did because we love to hear our listeners' voices as well. Yeah, and then I want to see Angie transition your voice from that widget onto the episode itself. Yeah, I think that'd be really fun. Like, wouldn't you love to hear your voice on the podcast? Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. Um, So that's what we would love for you guys to do. That would be your challenge of the week, okay? That's going to bring us to our challenge of the week. Excellent. Your challenge of the week is to send us a question for our next Ask Us Anything episode, which is going to be in a few weeks, okay? Um, Probably, you know, we've got a little cycle going here now. Um, And so we're accepting questions that we would love to answer for you guys. So either send us a voicemail over on our website, realliferunners.com, and then, or you can also email us at podcast at realliferunners.com with your question that you would like us to answer on the podcast next time. Brilliant. All right. So um, a couple of the resources that we have already mentioned, if you're looking for a runner strength training guide, you can find that over at realliferunners.com forward slash strength. If you would like to become a member of our Real Life Runners training team and get a customized plan so that you don't have to figure any of this stuff out and you can become a a part of an amazing team of other runners and have coaches to guide you along the way, you can go to realliferunners.com forward slash team. Um, And then if you want to be a member of our Facebook tribe, our great free community over on Facebook where there's just runners supporting other runners, you can go to realliferunnerstribe.com to request access there and um, you can also post in there your questions and we'll do our best to answer them. You got it. There we go. All right, guys. So as always, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you spending this time with us and also sharing this episode with your friends. If you haven't yet, please share the podcast with your friends. If you know somebody that might benefit from this information, just go ahead and press that little like arrow button at the bottom of the podcast to just send it off to somebody. And if you haven't yet, also please leave us a review in iTunes. You know, your your reviews are awesome and we love reading them and they also help other people to find the podcast and to understand that this is something of value for them to listen to. So if you haven't yet, please leave us an, a review over on iTunes. Um, so as always, guys, thank you for joining us. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 163. Now get out there and run your life. <laughs>